Hi everyone, welcome to the Unhandled Exception podcast. I'm Dan Clark and this is episode number 11. Now, I'm afraid that today I'm going to come across as a bit of a fanboy because everyone that knows me knows I'm a massive fan of Linkpad. It's something I've blogged about multiple times. I've done a few lightning talks on it and I typically try to get everyone I work with to start using it. It's kind of so useful for so many different use cases. So as you can imagine, I'm a little bit excited to be joined by the author of Linkpad, Joe Albahari. So a massive welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Dan. I'm embarrassed after that intro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our listeners can't see you, but Mm. I can see your face going a bit red. Yeah, (laughs) I never had that kind of accolades. (laughs) I've got to say, it saves me so much time every Mm. day, so... Uh, yeah, so uh, I need to be your PR person, I think. <laughs> so, so before we start talking about Linkpad, could you give us a quick intro into your background, who you are, and what it is you do? Yeah, I've been a programmer since well, as, as soon as the kind of the Apple II Apple II days. So I did, I've always enjoyed programming; it's been my thing. And I've, I started with Apple and, and writing my own kind of disk operating system, and I moved on to PCs and. And then spent some days in uh, Fox Pro, which wasn't wasn't necessarily the happiest time I had, <laughs> no! but it was it did very well. And in, um, in, I was in London for a while, and, and Visual Fox Pro was was paying the very very good contracting over there. And then when I got in, I got into C Sharp some time later, and when I got to Australia, and I was writing the C Sharp three in a nutshell book. And what was interesting was that was the time when they introduced first introduced Link, and. It was it's an interesting technology because it's like a functional in, in one hand it's a functional programming uh, technology it's a way of getting functional the first step at getting functional programming into into C sharp and and also a way of doing querying over local collections but also link was a way to kind of bridge that divide between the database and the strongly typed programming language so it's a way you effectively you can write link queries to query a database uh, and that immediately led to, led to uh, an interesting uh, kind of a, a dilemma because on the one hand, Link is so much more productive than SQL. Once you get the hang of how to use it, if you were to say, you know, do a query on a database, which you can probably express in maybe 12 or 15 words, that can equate to a long, complex SQL query. It can take you like several minutes to write. It involves correlated subqueries and outer joins and all sorts of things. And you start from scratch. You just take those, say, 12, 15-word description, translate that to links. Suddenly, it's like three simple lines of code. Uh, that, that was a huge win in, in Link in that it can, it can obviously save – it's much a higher-level querying language. But then the thing, well, if, if you can do this, if you can write these queries so easily in Link – why can't we just type those queries directly into the database and run them in the same way you can with SQL? So with SQL, you use tools like SQL Server Management Studio, and you can just type queries in and run them. But you can't do that with a link. Right? You can't take this 15-line SQL query as three lines of a link and just run it. So my, my thought was, is this? can I write a tool that can do this? This will be so cool if this was possible. So, so I wrote this tool, and I, and I, um, I released it in, in beta, and somebody picked up on it. It was Anders Halsberg, who was the inventor of C Sharp, and he was the program manager at the time. He was the lead program manager. And um, he demoed at that, apparently, at a C Sharp design meeting. And then it kind of went through Microsoft. People liked this tool and were using it in Microsoft. And, um, and then it became more, more widely popular. Now, at that time, it was really, I designed this simply as a tool for 
for writing linked queries to query database that you can run interactively in your database. But what I noticed is you, it wasn't just the case that you can put linked queries in there. You could write any, any C-sharp code and it would and it would give you an instant answer and it would format it nicely. And it was it was so much quicker than than creating console projects in Visual Studio, which is what I would usually do to, to achieve that. So I started using it myself just to get any time I'd normally create a quick console project, I started using LinkPad instead. Uh, and because of that dog fooding, I realized there was a whole lot of other things I could do to it to make it a lot work a lot better as a code scratch pad, which I did. And then the kind tool morphed like that into a, a code scratch pad. So it's a, a playground for C Sharp and, and later for VB and F Sharp as well. One of the things you mentioned about console apps and LinkPad being more convenient than just creating a console app, one of the things that I find that makes LinkPad so powerful is this concept of a dump command, where like to me, when I'm trying to sell like LinkPad to a fellow developer, when I'm talking about all the things it can do, it's this dump command that sets things apart. I'm guessing you're probably much better explaining what the dump command sure. is than I am. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's like the, the console.write line on steroids. So rather than just giving you a, a to string, converting it to string it, it walks the whole object graph, converts it to a, um, HTML tables. And, and really, uh, it gives you the most useful visualization you can have of a data, lets you drill into any level of depth. And, and a lot of that, it's basically using the power of, of HTML and JavaScript to do that, to give you a really nice visualization. Um, and and I, I've, I've kind of been tuning this for, for years and years, just so that it, it know, understands various types, heuristics. It knows exactly what certain types are best way to expand them or not to expand them, so that it, it gives you a really nice visualization. And that saves a lot of time itself. That's, that's a big time saver. One of the things um, I like to show when doing lightning talks on LinkPad is how the dump command shows hyperlinks in foreign keys in the results. This is one of the things that makes people's eyes go wide. The demo I tend to do in the talk is having a super simple order management system database. So for example, like an order table, an order items table, a product table, and a SQL query against that would require lots and lots of joins where I demo literally just typing orders and pressing F5, then the results has an order items column with a hyperlink. Clicking on that expands the nested table with the order items for that order. Then inside each of those order items, I've got a product hyperlink. So I can click on that to expand that nested table. So you've literally got all this just by typing orders and pressing F5, and you can Click, click with the mouse and drill down further through all the foreign keys, like no no SQL joins or anything. It's just like I've, I stopped using SQL Server Management Studio because of this, because it's just so powerful. Sure. Yeah, there's a number of things going on at once to make that work. So the, obviously it's using behind the scenes. It's creating a, a type data context. So it infers all of the foreign keys. Um, it's, it's using like linked to SQL or entity framework to do that. But then um, when you do that dump, it's also able to identify, again, with heuristics, when it comes across a lazy loaded property. So rather than walking it, it, it just puts a hyperlink in there and then it creates a callback. So when you click on that hyperlink, it then, it, it then does the query and expands it. So that's one of the, the features you have with dump was that when it produces the HTML, it's not a static 
HTML, it attaches event handlers onto things such as buttons or hyperlinks. And then it calls back to the C-sharp process when you click it. So then it can do things like uh, replace the hyperlink with the actual data. That is insane. In the demo, I take this a step further, which really shows the power of it is, we can talk about this later, but you've got um, a, a helper class called util. And one of those is util.image. And as response to the same link query, I can use that util to dump the image. And then in that order management system data dump, we can actually show the order, the order items in an order and a thumbnail image of the product sure. in the order items product in a really simple, succinct link query. Hmm. So it kind of like there's there's so many different aspects to this dump, like with navigating a foreign key database. Um, showing images, doing lots of different stuff. That must be insanely complex under the hood. There's quite a lot of things that are, that are going on to make that work. Um, and that's something I'll probably come back to a bit later, but there's, um, it's, it's, it uses that, uh, uses it has a fair a bit of code to do that integration between um, HTML and JavaScript in the C Sharp world because it's becoming more and more prevalent now, even when you're writing a rich client app. HTML and JavaScript is, is so useful in, in various roles and it handles things like images really well i mean that that's that's very easy for html and yeah i guess that's one of the powerful things with html i think you've you've got an export i don't use this very often but can you export the dump as well because it's html yes you can export it to html yeah um, that's a that's a, a free bonus you get with producing it as html as it exports as html although obviously you lose that dynamism so you can't expand a hyperlink um, that wasn't previously expanded. If it has to, if it has to go back to the database to get stuff, obviously that doesn't work once it's been exported. So you've got to learn CSS as part of developing LinkPad, then. A bit CSS in JavaScript <laughs> as well. Yes, <laughs> everyone has to learn CSS and 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 JavaScript. No, no one can escape that nowadays. <laughs> well, one question I do have, and this is probably something you get asked an awful lot, so we should probably get this out of the way early. At the moment, LinkPad is a Windows-only application, mm. but now like .NET is cross-platform. We're seeing a lot of .NET developers who are Mac users or Linux users. Are there any plans to make LinkPad a cross-platform application? Um, well, Microsoft are introducing a new version of Xamarin Forms called Maui. The plan is for them to support Mac OS with that. So when that comes to fruition, then I will certainly be revi um, visiting that, that um, option. And I think there's a good chance it will happen. I can't guarantee it will, but there's a pretty good chance it will. But there's, there are so many moving parts and components and third-party products I'm using. All of this has to come together. I have to find a, a cross-platform way of doing everything in there. Um, and all it can take is, is like one small thing that doesn't work that can be critical. And usually there's ways around it. Um, so I'm hopeful I can, I can find ways around it and I can get it working. I'm optimistic there'll be a macOS version next year. Oh, nice. Well, I think .NET Maui is .NET 6, isn't it, which is next November, I think? I think that's the yes, release date. Yes, um, that's the release date. But um, the critical thing is that I, I can't start working on this until they have a, a version of Maui that's a preview that kind of works. So they haven't released anything yet. So once that happens, I can start looking at it and seeing, seeing what's possible. Cool. I guess that in these early days, they're probably going to change it quite a lot anyway from the very first release. So it's um, in the same way as when .NET Core first started and .NET Standard, there was for early takers, there was lots of um, initial pains 
Yes. Yeah, I've been one of those. Yes, that's <laughs> the problem with well, when .NET Core 3 came out, they were bringing it to, to Windows. Windows Forms and WPF, they were bringing that with .NET Core 3. And that was that. A lot of things kind of changed a bit. Uh, all they they were they were poorly documented, and then they were well better documented later on. So when you're developing on the preview, you end up having to do a lot of stuff. You know, more than once, you have to you have to rewrite things. Well, speaking of .NET Core, there's LinkPad five and LinkPad six now, isn't there? Is it, I've got those numbers right. So that's right. So LinkPad six is the .NET Core version. Yes, .NET Core. They're just calling it .NET now, but it really is .NET Core. And .NET 5 is for, for .NET Framework. And that will probably, that's going to stay the same going forward. So .NET 5, um, I'm, I keep uh, updating that because .NET 5, .NET Framework is still quite popular. People are still using it. Um, so just to check, you mean, do you mean LinkPad 5? Not, not LinkPad 5. 5, that's right. Oh. LinkPad 5, sorry. <laughs> LinkPad 5, yes, is, um, yeah, is for .NET Framework 4.6 to 4.8. And, um, you know, I'll have to keep enhancing uh, LinkPad 5 for a while for that reason. And there might come a point I'll have to rename it um, uh, LinkPad SE or something like that. Have a LinkPad Maui. Yes. Well, I guess like with .NET 5 and .NET 6, it's all about combining these two. So they're getting rid of the core. They're trying to like long-term get rid of these multiple paths of having lots of different flavors of .NET. Well, yes. Yes and no. Yes, I mean they, they, what they what they're trying to unify. What they, they tried to do this for .NET five, but didn't happen. So it's now they're trying to do it with .NET six. Is they're trying to unify Mono with .NET Core, right? So so that instead of having three three frameworks, I mean, framework and Mono and .NET Core, we've only got two. We've only got .NET Framework and .NET, right? And .NET will be will do will be equivalent to both Mono and .NET Core. So that's effectively, but they're not, they're not in any way unifying .NET Framework. They can't because they're not updating it anymore in any major way. So there's always going to be a dichotomy between .NET Framework and what they're calling .NET now. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, I keep on having to stop myself from saying .NET Core 5. No, I mean .NET 5. And... It is, it's confusing, yes. It's probably, <laughs> they should just have left it as .NET Core now because the problem is .NET now means two things, right? It mean, Because people use the term .NET for any .NET technology, right? .NET Framework, you know, .NET Core, Mono, they're all .NET technologies. So, but it also just means this .NET 5 and above, right? So it has two meanings and it is, it is confusing. Yeah, I guess they're probably thinking more longer term, like the, the future of .NET, where once once it is, like when you say .NET, it's obvious what, what you mean. Mm. Yeah, they're hoping, yes. Eventually, .NET framework, they're hoping will go away. Um, but it, it is it will take a long time, as I've noticed. There's so many people. And I mean, a lot of LinkPad 6 users who are on .NET Core also use LinkPad 5 for their .NET framework projects, which they're, 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 you know, they're not going to get rid of for a long time. Yeah, I've got them both pinned to my dashboard because I tend to use LinkPad 6, but sometimes something won't work. And then I've got to switch over to LinkPad 5 yes. because obviously different dependencies. That's right. Yeah, because .NET framework assemblies don't always work with .NET Core or .NET 5. They sometimes do and sometimes not. So if they haven't if they haven't got a build for .NET Core or .NET 5, then you may or may not get lucky. One thing I do like about LinkPad 6 is having all this C-sharp 9 functionality. 
It is quite nice that they've done, yeah. I remember the same for C Sharp 8 as well when mm. that came out, that I could use LinkPads to start playing around and tinkering with these new language features. Was that quite easy to add to LinkPad? Yeah, um, yeah. adding the latest C Sharp features is pretty easy because I using, uh, mostly use the Rosalyn toolchain. So, so there's not a lot to do, usually. depends, of course, on what they add, but that's, that's the easy bit. Yeah, I mean, the hard, the hard bits are um, related to what the changes in the framework are. I'm just looking through my list of functionality that might be nice to bring up, and it's just such a long list. There's so many different things in there. One thing I really like is, because obviously we've already mentioned you can write scripts in LinkPad, and we've spoken about the LinkPad IDE, but there's also a tool called LP Run, which allows you to run these on the command line and presumably in CI/CD environments as well. Yes, LP Run is the command line runner, which runs uh, from an ordinary console prompt. But you can also um, reference the uh, linkpad.runtime from Visual Studio and then call util.run from there. That's another way of doing it. Or from another linkpad script, you can run one script from another for command yeah, for, for automation. Oh, nice, nice. I need some more um, tips and tricks for my um, blog post series that I mentioned earlier. In fact, yeah. I'll, I'll include that in, the, in the, sh- the show notes. But I was looking through, because it's been a while since I looked at them, so I was like looking through them before this this call, reminding myself about some of the functionality, and there's just so much there. Like, even like a, a built-in regular expression editor, there's lots lots of different tips and tricks where even like s- someone like me that's used it for years, I come across these things, and it's like, wow, I didn't even know it could do that. Yeah, that's nice that you keep finding new things. Yeah, definitely. I like um, this. Is probably I'm probably in the minority of LinkPad users who are also Vi users, but that made my day when when you added that. Just a checkbox, and you can turn on Vi. Oh, the emulator, Vim emulator. Yes. Yes, definitely. That was brilliant because I find if I go over to an editor or like management studio or whatever that doesn't support Vim. I think Management mm. Studio does have a Vim plugin, but it's a paid for one. And it's just because I'm not used to using like the Vi keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. It's just so so painful without them. So it really did make my day when you added that. But I'm assuming not many people requested that. So was that something that was. There were enough people requesting it that, that I thought it was worthwhile. And for a long time, I thought, what is the point? Like, why do people want to, a Vim emulator? But I, I can think of, you know, there's a number of, of kind of plausible scenarios. But the one that really got me, that convinced me, is that when you're you're having to develop on a cramped laptop keyboard, it's so much more ergonomic not having to use all these modifier keys, like having to use all the control page up, page down with these function keys. They're, they're not ergonomic on laptops. But the using the, the, um, all those Vim shortcuts, those Vim, it's that's really quick. So I can understand the benefit. You're going to be coding more quickly on a laptop if you if you know how to use Vim. I think also it's people that use Vim, like in the main editor, I use Rider, but I've got a Vim extension. And mm. um, I think I initially started using Vim, I don't know, 15 years ago when the team I was working with, everyone used Wacom Vi, which is a, like a Vi editor. And because the entire team just used Vi, so I kind of, did it as well, and that and mm. it was a it was painful to get used to initially. But then once I learned it, and it became muscle memory, it became mm. so much more efficient. And when you're using this in your main editor, I'm that used to it. When I alt tab mm. to something like LinkPad and don't have it, then suddenly it's kind of you feel like you've lost a superpower almost. That's right. Your muscle memory is now isn't working against you. Exactly. 
Yeah, so um, it is a it's, it's a two edged sword though. Um, writing something like a Vim emulator because it's it's going to be at least a thousand lines of code to do that, and then when you've done it, it's all great. It doesn't take too much maintenance. But if you want to say produce a Mac version of your product, and it turns out you need to change your editor, now suddenly you've got to rewrite that, possibly rewrite your your Vim emulator. Now that, that's quite a lot of work. So did you actually write the Vim functionality yourself? Yes. Wow. I kind of assumed that you just used like um, a library or something. I'm not sure whether that would whether you can use a library unless the libraries you happen to be use the same editor that the library was designed to use. So I'm using the, the Acti Pro editor. So I don't believe that there's a Vim emulator for that. So I, I wrote one for that. That is insane. Like, as, that, sorry that you just, I'm not often um, lost for words, but. I kind of assume you, you, it was a quick thing, so you added that library, but you've implemented Vim in Linkpad. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. In fact, I, I wrote the most of the code in Linkpad to do that. So I just created a hook so that I could literally code the emulator in Linkpad while it was running live, right? But every now and then, I'd introduce a bug, and I couldn't fix the bug in the code because now it was had broken the editor. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That just reminded me of something I, I spotted. This was an accidental thing I spotted. I was I pressed in Linkpad, Control, Shift, and F to find something in my scripts, mm-hmm. and it popped up a Linkpad script, a Linkpad link query to do that find. That's right. That's how it works. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's just little things like that, which like uh, absolutely brilliant. Yes, and, and the advantage of that is that because um, whenever you bring up a, like this kind of dialogues, you know, Shift Control F search everything, it gives you these various options in the dialogue, which which Linkpad one does that as well. But sometimes that's not enough. You want to do something different. So when you hit return and, you, and it searches for it, um, and it brings up that query, right? If it if you can basically make that do anything you want just by editing the query, right? So you can do any kind of search you want. So have you found any like major problems like, like blockers other than the cross-platform thing when developing LinkPad? Just things that have like, oh, I can't do this or... Yeah, I've had challenges along the way. I mean, coming doing the, the .NET Core version, going from .NET Framework to .NET Core for Windows, it sounds like it should be a simple thing, but there would have been at least six months solid work just doing that conversion, not even adding, not even accounting for the new features, just doing that conversion from .NET Framework to .NET Core, .NET Core 3. And it's the, sometimes really small things that can sometimes mean weeks of, weeks of work. So something as simple as um, removing one function from an API in reflection.emit meant I had to do a whole massive amount. I couldn't use reflection.emit anymore. So I have to do the, the in a completely different way. So that involves rewriting a lot of code. And the removal of app domains, that was huge. Because Linkpad made extensive use of app domains. And so everything now it has to it has to now create processes. And the same way, like if you spin up Chrome, suddenly there's like 12 processes on your machine. When you start up Linkpad, there's about three or four startups. So it has to do lots of things in different processes. And, and that means I have to write my own remoting framework to talk to all those processes. I can efficiently talk to each other. Wow. I was impressed by Linkpad before, but now it's kind of, I guess you must um, really get frustrated with all these changes coming in. It's like, stop moving my cheese. 
Yeah, some changes, most changes are good. <laughs> um, but some, some like the removal of app domains, like that hurt. But most changes, most changes have been good. I guess it must be like, with the change coming with .NET Maui, even though I'm sure that's a lot of work, that's probably quite exciting that you're opening up the potential for a lot more LinkPad users. Yes, um, it, that is exciting. And also the fact that a bit, there's, there's, um, it's a mixture of WPF and Windows Forms at the moment. And it's overdue for the Windows Forms portions for a WPF rewrite, but I've been delaying that because I'm waiting for a cross-platform solution. So I'm hoping to rewrite as much of the UI as I can in something better, which was hopefully be Maui. But obviously it means requiring like a um, compatible editor that works in Maui because there's so many, there's so much code there. You can't just rewrite the whole thing. You have to find ways to make that work as best you can with the uh, a manageable amount of work. Can you use a JavaScript editor? Because obviously in Maui you can put like Blazor stuff and combine Blazor and Maui. Um, does that open up the possibility of like not having the editor um, being like a, a JavaScript component? Well, the I use obviously the the results editor. That's that's a web browser. But that for that to work well, you need really good integration between the web browser and the host. And so far, that hasn't really been the case. And, you know, I'm, I'm just concerned that there won't be enough good integration just to have a LinkPad in Maui at all. Like if, if the web browsers that they offer are not up to scratch, I won't be able to do it. But to, to go as far as the editor, putting the editor in there, it'd have to be really good integration. Like it, there cannot be anything that, that's, that has any rough edges or it's just going to fall apart. So, um, I mean, that would be probably a last resort just because it relies on having such good integration between on the, the HTML JavaScript side and the uh, managed side, the C Sharp .NET managed side. Yeah, it does sound a crazy amount of work. So are you actually working on LinkPad? Is that your full-time role at the moment? That's right. Oh, that's good. So you can actually dedicate a lot of time yes. to doing yes. these. It takes a lot of time. Even really simple things that, you know, simple uh, minor change to Entity Framework Core. That might be a week's work dealing with that. So it's there's a lot of work just just keeping all the stuff in there, all up to date and working. So going back to the features of LinkPad, I don't think I, I think we might have touched on NuGet very briefly, but it's actually got an inbuilt NuGet package manager. So I I quite often, if there's a new NuGet package or I, I need to quickly interact with an Azure service, for example, or, or like whatever service, and there's I don't know like. RabbitMQ client, if you're interacting with RabbitMQ, there's a RabbitMQ client NuGet package. I can just go in LinkPad, press F4, have the NuGet package manager, find the whatever NuGet package I need, and then just start coding and quickly mocking up like trial code, like spike code. Yeah, there's a, um, the NuGet engine is it's, it's surprisingly tricky and complex to, to get that working to implement that. And that's something it's, it's, that's been kind of a years of, of accumulated work to get that engine working. LinkPad doesn't use the MS build stacks. MS build stack does a lot of that stuff for you, but LinkPad does, do, it doesn't do that. It's much lower to that. It just goes to the Roslyn thing directly, which it, in, provi- it provides better performance. Very cool. Before we started recording, you mentioned you've done a f- you've done quite a few talks, and one of the ones I've seen on YouTube is your neural network from scratch talk, which um, I, I watched through and it taught me an awful lot. But you were doing that in LinkPad and coding, like basically coding a neural network. Is that something you can touch upon here, or I suppose it's very hard in an audible podcast? Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, you can watch the podcast on that and it's, it explains it. Uh, I've got all the, all the details on how neural nets essentially work, really what makes them tick. And I mean, if you're doing it, uh, C-sharp, um, a lot of people use Python for, for neural networks. Interestingly, with Python, it's, it's great. Um, there's kind of two ways that, that people use it. They use it to, they could use it to write a neural net from scratch just to kind of experiment with, with the concepts of, of neural networks, but they can't actually do anything serious because it's, Python is too slow to, to, it's not conducive to doing that. So then what it's more used for in a more real world way is a kind of a scripting front end to control these libraries, which are written in C++ and that they use your GPUs and so on. But with C Sharp, it's interesting because the direction C Sharp has taken is that it's can provide really good low level functionality and performance. So you can, you can actually get really good performance out of a neural network you write from scratch. You can parallelize it. It won't be as good as obviously what you can do with, with C++ code that uses GPUs, but you can still do really well with just with C-sharp code. And it's stuff that you can actually look at and understand. It's fairly simple code and you can get really good performance out of it. So I thought this was a fun project to write a neural network in C-sharp. And you can do that in LinkPad just like you can in Visual Studio. It's, it's, a, it's that kind of project. You can write visualizers in LinkPad. So um, I thought this was a fun thing to do. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I like about your talks. They always seem to incorporate LinkPad somehow. I was watching one of your C-sharp 9 talks. At the start, you were saying that you created an alarm clock in LinkPad. And- yeah, I've used, I've once done an alarm clock in LinkPad. Like, just, just when I, when I want to catch a flight, right? Then I like having backups. So I use my, um, I, I use my smartphone and I might use like a, a tablet. And then I'll just as a backup in case all that goes wrong, I just, I write a script in LinkPad. But I did once, I have once missed a flight from Honolulu to Perth because I, all of the three alarms failed for different reasons. You know, it was a, it was a comedy of errors. And it, you know, even with that redundancy, it's still possible. It's still possible to miss a plane. Well, spe- speaking of creating little link pod scripts for little things like that, for the listeners who have made it this far, Joe would very, very kindly agree to give away a link pod license. So what we were thinking we would do is, if you're interested in taking part of this prize draw, if you tweet out about both LinkPad and the show, I'll knock up a quick LinkPad script to query all those tweets and pick up one at random as the winner. So if you make sure you include the hashtags unhandled exception and LinkPad, I'll do a draw a week after this gets published, say. And if you're interested, I'll share that LinkPad script as a GitHub gist or something as well. So thank you, Joe, for giving away that license. Hopefully someone can take take away what we're talking about today and have a have a good playthrough. And speaking of licenses, actually, and there's a few different licenses. I don't know that we can talk about the different licenses and the pricing. I always try to persuade people to get the the one that includes like new get and debugging, which I think is that the top one. Yes, that's right. It's it's. I mean, it's ninety five dollars, so it's not a huge amount of money. But then, yeah, you get the the debugger. That took a loan. That was six months full time work, solid work to write the debugger. That is that is a, a really tricky bit of code to 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 get right as a debugger. But it's certainly worth it because in LinkPad you don't rely on the debugger anything like as much as you do in in um, Visual Studio. But occasionally, when you need it, it's really useful. Yeah, definitely. I think going going to your point about $95, I think I paid for it years ago. And I, as I say, I use it 
every day and it saved me so much time. So it's it's a no-brainer. It really is. Yeah, back then it was it was pretty cheap at the beginning. So we're, we've already spoken about like potentially doing a cross-platform version with .NET MAUI. Have you any other future plans in the pipeline for LinkPad? Um, well, something I'm working on now, and this kind of does relate to the, um, this will help with the cross-platform edition, is decoupling LinkPad from the IE DOM. The moment it's heavily relies on a web browser, which is the, the web browser control, which is tied to IE 11. So that that's quite a big project to separate that because it's intricately connected to the IE DOM. So that's now I'm I'm rewriting that or, or creating two versions, which so it'll it'll select either the IE DOM if you if you've got the IE or if you have the new Chromium engine which ships with the new Edge, it will then use that that Chromium engine instead. So then all the interactions done through purely through JavaScript instead of through uh, a DOM on the on the um, .NET side, so that that's um, that will have a, quite a number of benefits. It'll improve the interactivity and the performance, um, and it'll also make it easier for cross-platform. So, do you still have that IE DOM dependency when using LP Run from the command line for, to run a link pod script? No, with LP Run there is no there's, there's no render out there. There's nothing to display results. All the results go to the output stream or a file. So it either produces text or it produces an HTML. And, and to produce the HTML, it's, I use actually a library my brother wrote um, called Hyperlink with a Q, which is an HTML generation library. So so it doesn't it doesn't rely on a browser to do that. That's cool. You've got software development in the family. That's right. <laughs> So we, we did mention about doing dev tips and you said you were up for doing one. Did you? Yeah, I've got a dev tip, a general, a, a really kind of abstract general dev tip. And I think it's it's related to Kool-Aid. Uh, and this is something that every now and then, well, quite regularly, some new technology comes along. And particularly if the large successful internet companies are using it, this is kind of everyone wants to use it. It's cool. Whether or not it's suitable, there's this tendency to overuse things. Uh, but sometimes it's really hard to know, like, is something actually suitable or not? Or is if people are saying something's really cool, is it is it really cool? Or, and I think one of the, th- the ways to look at this is to look at people who've used it and have used other things and that speak about it without using hyperbole and that can give a realistically balanced, nuanced view. They, they can point out its flaws as well and when it's not suitable to, to not fall into that Kool-Aid trap. And that's, that's one of the things I've seen people do that's incredibly expensive is, is to use um, a technology that's not quite appropriate because it seems cool. And the flip side, that has a flip side too, which is that often after, sometime after a technology has been overhyped, people realize that they've, they've been duped. And then there's this overreaction where it's, it's uncool and no one wants to use it. And I've seen some of this happen with OOP. Right, because OOP was good, it still is good, but it was overhyped. So people would overuse it. And now it's kind of uncool and people are saying bad things about OOP. And really, there's nothing wrong with OOP. It's simply that people were overusing it, particularly with inheritance and class hierarchies that were making that too complex. So, And I think a good analogy, it's, it's like you've got a toolbox of, of tools and then somebody introduces you to the hammer and you think, oh my God, this is wonderful, this hammer. And you use it everywhere. You use this hammer everywhere for everything. Yeah, and then you realize actually it's not very good for putting in screws or whatever. So then you throw out the hammer, right? And you're saying, look, this, is, this hammer sucks. I'm not going to use this anymore. Yeah, I, I refer to that as the new and shiny syndrome. Mm, right. 
<laughs> shiny toys. So my dev tip is I wanted to pick something on topic, but as I mentioned earlier, I've already written a three-part blog post series with lots of LinkPad tips and tricks. So that has a whole bunch of dev tips. So my tip is to actually download LinkPad, give it a go, and check out the tips in the blog post series. I think it's a three-part series, uh, which I would include in the show notes. So I'm sorry, that's a bit of self-promotion in the dev tip, but why not? It's um, promoting LinkPad as well, so that's good. So before we wrap up, do you have anything else you would like to mention? Yeah, I think we've covered everything, Dan. That was that was good, and um, yeah, I'm glad you're a, you're an avid user. You can be one of the you can be one of the first to test the Mac version when that comes out. I'd need a Mac for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to save up. <laughs> <laughs> it's more what do I want one or not? But uh, I've, mm. I've got to say, I'd probably go in the direction of Linux rather than Mac. And uh-huh. I've got to say, that's LinkPad is probably one of the things that has kept me because now, right, like I've moved to Rider, which is cross-platform. Mm. So, and I do mainly .NET or React development then. And less tied to Windows, but LinkPad, there's no way I'm leaving uh, Windows because. So, what's your take on like that? There's obviously I can understand why people, some people don't want to use Windows, but what's the, what kind of determines whether someone's going to become like a Mac user or a Linux user in terms of desktop or laptop experience? Not, I'm not talking about servers, I'm talking about as a developer. So, I think that depends on the person. So, someone that does a lot of, design might naturally be more of a Mac person. I'm finding more and more now, obviously, .NET is cross-platform. So as I'm working with teams, I'm finding some, um, like in the team I'm working with at the moment, there's um, someone that uses Mac, someone that uses Linux, and we're doing like lots of .NET. We're using Azure stuff. So and I'm finding it's easier for people to experiment because they're not tied to a particular operating system. I think it's also just what you get used to, what you grow up mm-hmm. with. Um, I, I use Windows just because of my background. Um, I started off with Windows, like with the very early versions of Windows, and it's kind of just evolved. I've like kept on updating Windows. I've got dependencies on tools, which like it was Visual Studio, but now I use Rider, so that's cross-platform, so that's okay. But like, for example, LinkPad, there's lots of little tools I use in Windows to make me more productive, which I would have to relearn if I switch to something else. Sure. I think it's largely what people have started off using, they probably sticked with. And then maybe if, for example, if lots of people's colleagues start using a Mac, right. then they might say, oh, I'll give this a go and give it a try. So it's like not peer pressure, but just peer curiosity, if anything. Yes. And I think also Apple produced some quite nice hardware. I think some people are drawn to it just because they like the the machines that they produce. Yeah, I guess it also depends on if you... So I'm an Android user as a, my mobile phone, but if mm. you're an iPhone user, then by moving to Mac, you get a bit more uh, interoperability. Yes, that's true. So it depends what your entire tech ecosystem looks like. Mm. What, what do you use? Are you Windows? Oh, presumably you are Windows because obviously LinkPad, that was a silly question. That's <laughs> I'm using Windows, but I use a um, an iPhone, not an Android. Are you being tempted to switch over or is it uh, presumably LinkPad just means... Yes, because I use LinkPad, I need to use yeah. the, um, Windows. But it's also the the familiar. If I pick up a Mac, the familiarity advantage is always going to make me happier on a Windows. It will take quite a lot of time on a Mac before, uh, if there were any benefits, and there probably are obviously benefits as well as downsides. But for those benefits, if they resonate with you, for that to kind of become the the main thing, you need to spend a lot of time to get that familiarity. 
because you know there's to you, there are so many things that you set up to work well if you've been using an operating system a long time that work well for you. Yeah, I think it's becoming easier though because, like for example, on the command line, I use PowerShell, but now mm. you've got PowerShell Core, or is it still called PowerShell yeah. Core with .NET? Taking away the core is PowerShell. Taking I don't away know. The core I have, too, I I don't have know. to confess, I, I don't really use PowerShell. I've never really <laughs> got into it. I probably should, you know, but that's something I, you know, I've never always managed without it. Is that because you use Bash or do you not use the command line at all, really? I use, I just use a stick. I, well, actually, I use Linkpad for a lot of that stuff, stuff, and partly just because I try and do everything in Linkpad because it's a dog fooding uh, mentality. So I try and script everything I can in that. But I, I do use a command line, the standard, you know, which comes from with the MS-DOS heritage, you know, but it's, <laughs> you know, data. <laughs> the CMD. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, I, do, I do like PowerShell just in, in the fact that you're chaining together when you're using the pipe symbol and you're chaining right. things together, you're chaining together objects rather than just text. If you're using sure. Bash, you've got to. I see really heavily learn how to use like sed and orc and all these right. different like text, uh, text manipulation tools mm, sure where it, it's just .NET really when you're using powershell so it's really mm. powerful but as i say that's kind of now we've got powershell core then even that we can you can run that in linux and mac mm. or um, like ide so you've got um, right. visual studio for mac you've got rider which can work on all of them and you've got VS Code, which is cross-platform. So I guess all these different restrictions keeping someone to Windows mm. uh, is slowly kind of going away. Yes. Yes, bit by bit there, it's becoming easier to have a cross-platform. And I can't help wondering also if some of the the sentiment is, is um, it's not so much of a big deal now as it was, but there was a time when there was an anti-Microsoft sentiment. And I think some of it remains. And it's partly because of the, the, the there were some an, uh, accusations of anti-competitive behavior. This is going back a long time. But I don't think it was just that. It was the fact that Microsoft were very big and, and they were the one of the... And pe- when, when a company gets big and successful enough, particularly if they're in a monopolistic position, they start to get some hatred. And I noticed that recently that even st- with uh, companies like Google now and Facebook, definitely with Facebook, they did some some mildly bad things, right? I mean, they've not been completely innocent, but uh, they, it seems like they get overly punished. You know, if they're in, if they're in a big, strong position, very successful, they get they get very held to very high standards and they get hit quite hard necessarily. I mean, Microsoft, in part, they, they got hammered for shipping a browser with the operating system. Right? It's a g- good thing we wiped that out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's like the Facebook example. They obviously own WhatsApp. And now I'm seeing left, right, and center mm. people slagging off WhatsApp saying you should move to oh, – what's the name of the new one? Um, oh, I've got it here. I'm going to say Signal. Move to something called Signal. Mm. And I, I did try Signal. I think the selling point is that uh, it's super secure and everything, but it's not very polished at all. And it's kind of – it just feels – like you're saying, uh, a company gets to a certain size – and just because they own WhatsApp, everyone's trying to like pull all the friends away from WhatsApp, and it's yes. a bit frustrating, really. Yes, it's it is. It's um, yes. I I never quite worked out what the real benefit was for Facebook in in owning WhatsApp. You know, that's that that was an, an interesting because because it's very hard for them to seem to me to really make, get benefit because if they do something like to to, to integrate it better with Facebook, that's going to devalue it. So it was a it was a kind of a strange acquisition. Well, I think that's what people are arguing about, saying that there's like the sharing of data around adverts mm. between things that go on in WhatsApp. But to be honest, I don't really know the details. 
from my mm. point of view, I want more personalized adverts in Facebook. You do? I don't, I don't want to eliminate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't want mm. adverts about something I'm not interested in. So, But but then if, you, if you're not interested in adverts, obviously most people that aren't tech savvy can't do this, mm. but we, yeah. there's lots of tools we can use to get rid of the adverts and mitigate against that. But I, I get the point. Mm. I get the point. So a, a massive thank you, Joe, for joining us. It was like really an honour to have you on the show. And also, obviously, thank you for LinkPad. As I say, it saves me hours every single day. Thank you very much. And also a big thank you to everyone for listening. A quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Everstack, which is my own company providing software development and consultation services. For more information, visit everstack.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do help me spread the word on social media. I normally use the hashtag unhandledexception, and I can be found on Twitter at Dracan, D-R-A-C-A-N, and my DMs are open. And my blog, danclock.com, has links to all the other stuff too. And of course, we will include links to all the things we've mentioned today in the show notes, which can be found on unhandledexceptionpodcast.com.